Welcome to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Lees, a conversation for those who own, manage or protect intellectual property. Hi everyone, I'm Chris Hall. I'm a partner at Appleyard Lees, specialising in litigation. And today I have the absolute privilege and pleasure of introducing Juliana Fuchs at Puma. Juliana is a council brand protection and specialises in anti-counterfeiting. And what's most exciting about this is that today's podcast is a very special one in that we're actually in the same room in Puma's HQ. So hello, Juliana. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute privilege. It's been great spending the day with you. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about anti-counterfeiting. You and I have been working in the anti-counterfeiting world now for quite a few years together. We've seen how it's been developing, and we understand the risks, and we're seeing how there are ways to try and prevent it and to try and reduce. And hopefully in this podcast, we're going to go through a little bit about why taking steps to prevent counterfeiting is important, the risks about counterfeiting products, and the misconceptions about counterfeiting products. On that note, I suppose, Ileana, do you want to just introduce yourself? Yes, I started at Puma seven years ago. Um, I did this apprenticeship with what is really common in Germany. Now I'm brand protection counselor, as you said, being responsible for the northern part of Europe, eastern part, as well as West and Central Asia. And during my apprenticeship, I wasn't aware that there is a department existing only focusing on fakes and counterfeiting. And I knew that there is going to be a legal department because every company has one, but I actually didn't know that there is a department focusing on this part. So I talked to a colleague of mine back in the days and she introduced me to this department and she told me that we actually have some security features on our products. And um, this is how I got aware of the department and also got interested in it. So I just talked to the colleagues and then this is how it all started and my interest grew ever since. So I reckon we start from the beginning and a lot of people listening to this will know what counterfeit goods are, but some people might not. Let's go to the very basics of what counterfeit goods are and and what that might look like for Puma. Yeah, so to keep it really short and clean cut, counterfeit products can appear in different versions. So you have one-to-one copies. So for example, if you go on our street market and buy a product that looks like our Puma Manchester City jersey, this is a one-to-one fake because it has our trademarks on it. It has exactly the same features also our normal product has. So this is the one thing. And then you have a second version, which is solely a lookalike. So they get an idea of our product. They see it online. They see it in the market. And they just try to get as close to this product as possible by not or trying not to infringe our trademarks. But they do by copying it and creating this lookalike product. So essentially, it's in many cases a product that's identical almost, let's say, because there are some small changes that you're able to spot, fortunately, which means that we can identify the counterfeits. But we've been doing this a long time now, and the counterfeits, they're almost identical to the originals in some cases. They copy it down to the smallest details, don't they? Yeah. But like you said, you also get some that kind of look alikes, but they include your trademarks, and they include your copyright works, and the importation of those goods that include your trademarks but are not authorized to be imported into the UK. 
often made, let's say, in China. That we see that a lot, you yeah. know, unfortunately. But they're imported into the UK and not authorized by Puma. And quite simply, that is a counterfeit good. And with a fashion brand, so a lot of that is clothing, footwear, but a lot of it is clothing. What would you say is the most commonly counterfeited product for Puma? So the majority of products we see in the market also being imported and manufactured in general is jerseys. And this is simply to the fact that it's quite easy to manufacture those when not caring about quality, when not caring about um, the materials they use. So for the counterfeiters, manufacturing jerseys is way cheaper than, for example, for a shoe. Okay. So they could manufacture it probably for two to three euros, depending on what materials they use. But for a shoe, for example, they would have to pay 15 or much more. So it's easier for them to manufacture jerseys on a low pricing and then sell it for 80 to 90 euro. Yeah. So they can still have a massive margin on just selling the products. Well, this is one thing that's changed over the years, I think, is that the quality of the, the counterfeits, let's call them fakes as well, has got so good that they can sell them at almost the retail price. And this is what you see a lot is that they'll, they'll undercut the retail price that Puma is selling them at, for example, yeah. and show it as a discounted cost to the original product. Yeah. So for many consumers, some might not even be aware that that is a counterfeit product because it looks like a Puma product. It smells like a Puma product. It costs... Not always. Not always. <laughs> it's, it costs almost as much as a Puma product. Uh, so you're thinking, okay, this must be a Puma product. So, and, and that, that, that can be confusing for consumers. Definitely. And especially with um, having everything shifted to the online world, it's quite hard for the consumers to figure out what is a genuine product and whatnot. Yeah. And to not raise any suspicion, counterfeiters usually try to have an authentic price so that the customer gets confused even more. So they buy it. And then when they receive it, of course, it has poor quality but these are kind of one-off purchases sometimes and how they get into that one-off purchase is first of all bulk purchases so what you tend to see is that counterfeiters on a larger scale they know they're buying counterfeits you know they're, 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 they're not confused they know what the price they're paying and they'll often pay a bit obviously a lot lower but they'll bring them in in bulk and that might just be puma or it might be with other items but they'll bring them in in bulk into uk for example and then sell on to the consumer who might not be aware of that differentiation between the original and the fake. So those counterfeiters, they're doing it intentionally. They're bringing it into the UK, knowing that they're buying it from a Chinese manufacturer who's not authorized and is knocking off the Puma product. Now, those counterfeiters, some might know what's, what, why it's a negative thing, and the end consumers some might know also, but a lot of people, I think there's a, a significant misconception about counterfeiting and purchasing counterfeit products because ultimately the reason that those large-scale importers of counterfeit products are importing is because people are buying them. So why are people buying them and what, why don't people understand those misconceptions? So I think it's worth just running through those and this can be quite, this might be quite enlightening for some people about actually what are the dangers of buying counterfeit goods? As I said earlier, the margin on counterfeit apparel products is quite high 
So what the counterfeiters intend to do is they simply sell the counterfeit goods and use the money they've gained out of it for financing organized crime. So the money they get out of selling those counterfeit goods go back to organizing and financing terrorist attacks also within Europe. So for example, the Charlie Hebdo attacks in Paris were financed by the sale of counterfeit goods. And I don't think that's something that is hugely publicized or hugely well known in that a lot of the counterfeit goods that consumers will purchase, that money then feeds down to the large-scale counterfeiters. That money then feeds down into funding, like you say, illicit crime. And that in addition to terrorism, the statistics say that that is also funding human trafficking and it's funding child labor. So what could be a very innocuous purchase of a Puma-branded sock for a few pounds? A lot of that, large percentage of that few pounds, might actually be finding its way into illicit criminal offenses, including child labor. And, and it's not obvious, but this is a, I think the value is a, it's a $500 billion trade in counterfeit products. And in fact, I've, 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 I've heard it that people are moving away from drugs almost because this is now almost a more profitable business that's less obviously harmful. But ultimately, those effects have significant, significant damage on many, many lives. There's a recent example of that, actually. And both uh, Juliana and I attended a conference recently, it's, it's an anti-counterfeiting group conference, that was attended by police officers, border force agents. And one example was a recent operation in, in, in Manchester. And this is quite close to our hearts because actually we have seen for years now counterfeit goods finding their way into Manchester and in a particular location called Cheatham Hill. And there were some figures that came out of that investigation into Cheatham Hill. It was an operation called Operation Vulcan, which is now well known and it's continuing, but it was very successful and has resulted in some great outcomes. But what they found is that in Cheatham Hill at that time, because of the counterfeit products, that in and around that region, it was leading to poverty, people living in squalor. There was child labor and evidence of human trafficking all in that region, and all focusing on counterfeit goods and the sale of counterfeit goods, and all funded by that as well. And that was having a hugely damaging effect on the area, on the people living in that area, on people coming into that area, and causing the onset of other crimes as well, criminal vehicle crime, crime in drugs. So it was having a knock-on effect with everything. Now, that operation has been very successful, and according to the statistics that we, we, we heard, it, by removing counterfeiting or practically removing counterfeiting operations now from Cheetham Hill, they've managed to reduce violent crime by 60%. They've taken 1.5 million fake drugs. So this is another aspect of it. Obviously, we've talked about fashion and car parts, but also drugs are counterfeited as well on a very large scale. Now, they took away 1.5 million fake drugs from the streets. And in total, over a million pounds was taken away from counterfeiters. But that was pumped back into the community and is now funding the redevelopment of Cheatham Hill. And that has been a great success, but only because it's it was clear and obvious that the damaging effect that that was having. Now, 
that's one example that I'm aware of and I've heard about now and it's been publicized. But I also know investigations operate within Puma itself. Have you got any examples of investigations that you've taken and what they've led to? Yeah, very recently this year, it must have been in the beginning of the year, February. So we had this case. It didn't look big in the first glance, but then we digged a little deeper and we found a lot of intelligence and we found a lot more happening. So starting from the scratch, it was a custom seizure in the UK of fake Puma socks. And it was a quite big number of fake products. So we thought it would be would be worth and interesting to dig in a little deeper. So we already, through customs, received the information of a Bangladeshi kanda party being involved. So we started some investigations in Bangladesh, which is not the easiest um, since Bangladesh is known to the apparel industry, but mainly for fakes. And also they have a lot of apparel fake factories, which makes it really hard for us. Nevertheless, we still did some investigation and we found a manufacturing unit with a lot of Puma socks. Um, We were able to raid the place. By the way, we were one of the first brands that actually got a raid in Bangladesh. Great. So right now we are trying to communicate a lot with different competitors, fellow competitors of ours. Um, to help them with the experience we gained out of this case so they can also get more raids or get authorities in Bangladesh more involved into getting rid of counterfeits. So for us in brand protection, it's not really that we are competitors at brand protection. Of course, in some point we are, but we are more allies when it comes to these things. So that that was a really good example for us, especially when it comes to cross-border cases and following the lead whenever it's possible to trace back until the origin and find the original source. That's amazing. And I think that you just alluded to it there, but you know, where you're normally competitors, so where you would normally be competing against sales when it comes to combating counterfeiters, you're working collaboratively with the likes of, I suppose, Adidas, Nike. We have a little story about that, working collaboratively well, which we'll, we'll get onto in this podcast and, and quite a recent bit of news this week and a very successful result for for us, in fact. But before I get on to that, I want to talk a little bit about how Puma normally combats infringement, both online and offline. So maybe, Juliana, if you can tell us, because obviously online infringement is quite prevalent. How would you normally go about combating that and identifying the infringers? As I said, and online is quite difficult business in general. Because it's really easy for the counterfeiters to hide behind their websites. So what we do, we have different online service providers. Also, we work a lot with artificial intelligence to find listings, to remove the listings and try to remove as much counterfeits as possible in a short period of time so that there's not going to be any confusion for the consumers, which is as I said earlier, the highest risk for online businesses, since they cannot distinguish if it's a genuine or a fake web store. So this is what we focus on online. We really try to train the AI. It's not easy. It takes time. We have to feed it with a lot of information. We have to also manually look into it every now and then. But it's really working for us. That's, again, a real collaborative effort because what we find with the online 
infringers is that when you when you undertake the investigations it's not always easy to find out where that internet service provider is located where the host is, is located and um, but when you do then it, we can have some success in writing to that internet service provider writing to the registrar or working collaboratively with lawyers in other jurisdictions where that website may be hosted and getting a court order and then using that to take down the website but the problem with websites they can pop back up again they pop back up and we've seen that they pop back up you remove it again pop back up so it's really getting down sometimes to the offline and that's where we work a lot is is in the offline enforcement and working with puma to really find those those, those culprits should we say and 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 hopefully by uh, identifying the importers and taking action against those importers we can have a real material impact and uh, we've we've got one one example of that but before i get onto that example i think it's just important to to note how those items come to our attention so uh, many brands and um, puma but many brands will will first of all file for an application for action so it's like a notice you give to customs to say hey customs when you when goods are coming in to the borders whether it's freight whether it's by plane, whether it's by sea, when it gets to that border force agent, they have the list, they know, okay, what are we looking for? Here's Puma Brands, here's the authorized manufacturers. This doesn't look like an authorized manufacturer. This looks like it's come from a suspicious sort of importation address, and this is not one of the authorized distributors that Puma products would normally be going for. Red flag, red flag raised, they then come to us, and they say, hey, Chris, we've got this product. We've seized it. Is it counterfeit? And the numbers can range. It can be from one and it could to a, a couple of hundred. And the ironic thing is, is that you might think one importation is just the average Joe buying something from Alibaba and he's had it imported. But when you dig down, you might find out and you speak to the, uh, the border force agents. Actually, that's part of multiple brands that have been imported. There's a selection. And this is an operation. We've had this recently where we've got a good example of a case that's come to an actual conclusion this week in that we had a, a, a an importation that was quite small, so quite inconspicuous, didn't look very big, just a few items, but something didn't feel right, did it? I remember it didn't feel right. And we found out it was a, a multi-brand, so there was multiple brands imported by this, this counterfeiter. And we thought, well, let's look into it. So we did some digging. We found a, a private Facebook page. From that private Facebook page, then there was an investigation. And that investigation, through the evidence that we all compiled, Juliana and I, and our teams, then relayed that to the police. And that's where it got interesting, I think. The police attended. They got a warrant. And I think what was particularly interesting about that case is that he was caught red-handed. Whilst the police were there, a big parcel turned up full counterfeit goods yeah definitely it's it's an amazing case we have some great results also thanks to the police we worked on the case with but it was it was uh, an amazing result in that when once the police took it on then went to the sentencing and just this week the the importer was sentenced to 18 months suspended sentence and he had to forfeit a hundred thousand pounds in cash this guy had been making a lot of money for about seven years in counterfeit goods. And it was spotted just through a very small 
inconspicuous seizure. And and I think that's interesting because we get a lot of those. We get a lot during the week. And and some are very difficult to find. Some of these infringers will hide behind addresses, names, very difficult to locate, but sometimes can be. But once they're located, and I think this is a surprising fact as well, is that by that collaborative effort, and there's an online and offline working relationship there, what I find often fascinating is that, and again, another misconception is that you can approach these people and 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 write to them in the normal way, sending them a, a cease and desist, and ultimately they've committed an intellectual property infringement and that has remedies including compensation so we're seeing also not just sentencing but also compensation being returned as well which is is, is great and also a, a deterrent i think so this case is hopefully a deterrent i think to future importers where they it seems again what's the harm done and going back to the misconceptions they think well the brands can afford it it's not about affording counterfeiting. It's about these children that can't afford to be trafficked, that can't afford to be put into child labor. That's who can't afford this. And hopefully by taking this one counterfeit, thousands of goods being taken off the street, that money is being removed from that chain of, of cash that's flowing down into illicit crime. Uh, yeah, so that, that's definitely a really good result we received for Puma in the UK. Uh, we also had a case um, starting from online rather than starting at the custom seizure or border for seizure. So we had this case last year. It started, it was reported to us by our online service provider. They found a link on Facebook and Instagram, both referring to one person selling counterfeits. So we had a look at the pictures and we saw a huge amount of products. So we not only took that page down we also wanted to get we we wanted to remove the physical products from the market so we did a little investigation it happened in pakistan so we did a little investigation and this investigation turned out that the counterfeiter he manufactured and exported counterfeit products for 15 years by that date we decided to file a criminal complaint, obviously, and got the raid in Pakistan. So we were able to seize the goods, got the owner arrested, along with a written confession. So this is also a really good example of a good sanction, because in our field, in the counterfeiting world, as we were talking about throughout the uh, podcast, the sanctions for counterfeiting is quite low. So it's always amazing for us to see such results coming out of long times of investigations, a lot of effort we putting into the cases. So it's just amazing that we see this outcome. No, that's great. And I think, again, another a great example of how it's not just about taking the Facebook page down because that Facebook page can just resurrect itself as another Facebook page or an Instagram page or whatever it might be, website. It's about finding the source. Once you find the source, the law is there and the law can be in our favor and with the right evidence can end up in a, a sentencing and remove those products from circulation. So hopefully we're, we're, we're doing our bit there to prevent illicit crime but and again it's an education piece i think it can be difficult to identify and and counterfeiters are very sophisticated so it'd be interesting to hear from you Liliana, what sort of 
um, sophisticated measures have you seen that counterfeiters have taken over recent years to hide the, uh, their illicit crimes? So speaking of online again, so we have seen a lot of cases where they try to hide behind links. So, for example, we would go on Alibaba and don't see any Puma listing. It would be, for example, selfie stick in different colors. But on Instagram, on Facebook, they would just advertise it and say, okay, hey, go to Alibaba, click on this link, but order the selfie stick in red and you will get a fake Puma shoe. So this is, they always try to to avoid being found by us and to start a new system, find a new system, find a new way in confusing us or even make it harder for us to start some investigation. Because as you might think, doing investigation, finding those links, it's quite difficult because you have to do investigations on social media. You have to find out on which platforms they are advertising those hidden links. And then also you have to go on Alibaba, you have to search for the links. And then it's quite hard for us to just go the simple way and do a takedown because there is no trademark infringement in the first site. But there is actual a product behind that. Yeah. And this is not what people see. They really have to, they have to intentionally order it. Yeah. And I think that's when it's something that we're trying to combat, isn't it? And it, this is something that we, through the, 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 the sort of groups that we work with, trying to build that relationship and a better understanding for the Alibabas of the world. Say, so look, you know, there are products out there. They look like generic jerseys. And so you and I could go on now, we could go online and search Alibaba and there's no sign of the word Puma, nothing, nothing, no reference to the leaping cat, just a generic red or blue jersey. But if you scroll down the page, in a, in a picture, in an image that's not searchable, will be a reference to a WhatsApp or a WeChat number. Use the number. And what people will tend to do is then contact that person via WeChat or WhatsApp and or put in an order then of the counterfeit goods. But how do you find that? That's the difficult thing, isn't it? So it's only working collaboratively with the sellers or the, the um, online marketplaces. So it's only via working with the online marketplaces that hopefully that you can reduce those sophisticated methods and combat that online infringement. But then you've also got the sophisticated methods for offline. So when it gets into the country as well, they're using different addresses and it's very different, different names. So it can be difficult, but you've got to carry out a lot of investigations. But obviously that takes time and it takes a lot of money and investment. So it's trying to raise that awareness to really reduce it because we can do as much as we can, I suppose. Yeah. But ultimately, we need consumers to not buy counterfeit goods. <laughs> you know, fortunately, there are a lot of organizations out there now that are taking counterfeiting very seriously. So as we heard last week, for example, we have the police through PIPCU that have significant operations and significant investment into reducing counterfeit activities, trading standards, border force. And you know, there are ways now, and I think um, online service providers, online marketplaces are putting in better measures consistently and evolving all the time to help, help I suppose, brands like Puma to stop it at the, at the money in some ways as well. So it's, again, it's working with like the likes of PayPal or other banks where it can be more easily stopped. And I think it's stopping that money and that flow of money that's really going to hit 
the counterfeits is hard. So we've covered a lot, you know, in the, in, in, the, in the conversation, we talked about the things that we're currently doing, but where do you see the biggest challenges in the future? And what are you seeing at the moment? And how do you think those challenges are going to be combated in the future? So I, I think our biggest challenges in the future are going to be online for sure. We've seen the massive change since um, COVID happened. Everything's shifting towards online. And it's, as I said, easier for the counterfeiters to hide online rather than hiding offline. So we will definitely see more counterfeit businesses online we have to we have to take down and we have to try to define. But also, and which is going to be our main um, focus, we have to focus more and have to try to raise more awareness, as you said earlier, also with like start early, start at schools, start with the kids so that they know what harm is behind a counterfeit product and what can happen if they buy one. And as we said earlier and throughout the whole podcast um, episode, it's not only about Puma losing money. It's not only about buying a cheap product because it's easier to get or it's it's or then you can buy, for example, five jerseys instead of one. But it's definitely the outcome it has on a long term. We want to prevent and we have to focus on so that we can change the consumer's um, way of thinking and behaviors when it comes to that. I think that's a really important point. And ultimately, it's going to come down to education, better education at an earlier point as well. I certainly wasn't taught about the dangers of counterfeiting when I was at school. And collaboration, working more collaboratively. I think that's always improving and we can always work more collaboratively and sharing information. And investment and not only from the brands, but also from governments as well. And this is a serious area. And sometimes, again, I think even the governments have that misconception that, you know, it's not harmful because it's not obviously harmful. IP crime absolutely is. And it should be ranked up there as high, as dangerous as drugs, for example, because ultimately it is funding those serious, serious crimes. Definitely. And this is also why we try not only to meet up with consumers, but all the stakeholders, such as uh, police, other law enforcement authorities, because these are also the ones we have to train and also raise awareness within law enforcement in general. We have seen a really good outcome um, because a lot of different countries, a lot of new law enforcement authorities were built only focusing on IP after doing lobbying, after working with them, talking to them about the issues we have and our challenges. So I think for now, it's a really good way we're going. We just have to continue doing so and focus on on starting from the scratch. Brilliant. No, I think that's right. So I think, you know, ultimately, education, 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 isn't it? And uh, hopefully via things like this podcast, we can share the information we're gaining and share that knowledge about the, the dangers that are involved with, with with importing and counterfeiting goods on a large scale, plus the risk of doing so, because as we've seen this week, it can end with £100,000 plus significant damage, compensation and possibly time in prison. So, yeah, it's something to be avoided and um, we've got to start with the consumers. So, Juliana, I just want to say such a big thank you 
to agreeing to this podcast today, taking the time out of your day, very busy day here at the Puma HQ to run through your experience, talk through and share some of your knowledge as part of this education piece. And it's something I feel really passionate about and I know you do too. So again, a huge thank you from me. And yeah, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much. As you said, it's, it's amazing to have this opportunity, like this podcast, to just talk about it, to tell our stories, tell what we've experienced in the last years. I think it's, it's a really interesting topic. I love working in this field. It's never the same. It always changes. We always have to be ahead of the counterfeiters and try to try to think like them, try to avoid their new techniques or try to get rid of their new te uh, techniques. So it's it never gets boring. No, every day is different. Every day is different. Thank you very much, Juliana. Thank uh, you. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Green Shoots podcast by Appleyard Leeds. If you have a question or issue you would like our IP specialists to discuss on the podcast, then tweet us at Appleyard Leeds or email us at ip at appleyardleeds.com. Thank you.